Calling all Swifties and champions of change, Like a Girl Media is rolling out the red carpet for you with our Thrive Like a Girl contest. We're all about celebrating powerful women leaders who inspire us to dream big and push boundaries. And who embodies that spirit more than Taylor Swift herself? Here's your chance to see her live in concert. We're giving away two tickets to Taylor Swift's show in London on Saturday, June 22nd. Imagine being part of the magic, all thanks to Like a Girl Media. Entering is easy. Subscribe, share, and show us which episodes inspired you the most. Visit our website or check our social media for all the details. Don't just dream it, be it. Thrive like a girl and make this summer unforgettable. Contest opens globally. Voidware prohibited. Must be 18 or older to enter. No purchase necessary. Subscribe and share with hashtag thrive like a girl and tag us at like a girl underscore media for entry. Unlimited entries means unlimited chances. Winner chosen at random after contest closes May 20th, 2024. We'll be notified via DM. Make sure your profiles are not private. Check full rules on our site. This is your shot to see Taylor Swift live. Don't miss it. Hit Like a Girl podcast is a proud member of the Health Podcast Network. One thing I love about working with them is that they're mission-driven, which means that they're dedicated to featuring authoritative shows, hosts, and guests who take on the tough topics in healthcare with empathy, expertise, and a commitment to excellence. If you're looking for bingeable content related to the healthcare industry, they've got more than 8,000 episodes on demand waiting for you. From professional development, the patient voice, digital health, innovation and entrepreneurship, and of course, health IT, they've got you covered. So this is your official invitation to check them out at healthpodcastnetwork.com. Julie Summer is the Senior Vice President of Marketing for Consejo Sano, a company we at Hit Like a Girl Pod totally love. They're committed to building trust, health equity, and a better experience of the healthcare system for all. They specialize in engaging patients where they are by connecting their culture and language needs with their unique journey to wellness. Julie talks with us in detail about how they do just that. Let's take a listen. So welcome back for another episode of Hit Like a Girl podcast. My name is Joy Rios. I am joined today by Sharice Maynard, my co-host. And today's guest is Julie Semmer from Consejo Sano. Julie, would you please take a moment to introduce yourself and talk a little bit about your piece of the healthcare slash health IT puzzle? Sure, absolutely. So my name is Julie Summer, and I'm um, Senior Vice President of Marketing for Consejo Sano. And I'm really excited to be here today. So thank you for inviting me to be on the podcast. And um, I've been in the healthcare industry for just over 20 years now. Okay, so you must have seen a lot in those 20 years. Where did you start and how did you land at Consejo Sano? Sure. So I actually started um, with a company called Micromedics. Um, and at the time, it had been purchased by Thompson Healthcare. And I was really in the, the clinical decision support world. Um, and that was my first entree into healthcare to really understand some of the complexities in our industry and, and the challenges that clinicians were facing um, around things such as drug-drug interactions, drug-food interactions, all of those kind of more the clinical decision support side. So I had an opportunity to travel all over the country and meet with nurses, physicians, and pharmacists in um, various hospital settings, rural and urban, um, and just 
I loved it and uh, had a great appreciation for the daily challenges that they faced and was just interested in how we could help solve some of their challenges. You began as somebody who was a road warrior. and I was a road warrior and that's how I got my start into healthcare. And then from there, I had the opportunity to work with physician group practices for Medical Group Management Association. And then I uh, worked for Trizetto, which was very much on the payer side of the world and understanding how care is paid for. And then um, working uh, with Love It Partners to understand sort of the government side of the world and how regulatory and policy impacts everyone in the healthcare world. And then at Kinsei Hasano, um, I just recently joined and we're really focused on health equity and ensuring that members understand how to use their benefits and, and can engage in their care. So I really love what Kinsei Hasano does. Can you kind of give a brief overview of what you all do over there for our listeners so that they have a good idea. Absolutely. So we work with primarily health plans and we help engage their members in their care. Um, For instance, with the annual wellness visit, we're really focused on ensuring that Medicaid members um, get access and understand um, how to get their annual wellness visit because that's where everything stems from, right? If you go in, that's an opportunity for you to connect with your physician and understand any challenges you might be having or additional care that you might need. So we're really focused on helping them through their journey throughout the year and ensuring that they get the care that they need. And we do that by um, by tailoring the experience and our communication to them, um, both culturally and linguistically, um, linguistically to make sure that we're aligned with, with how they view the world and how they think about care. So that's the part that I want to tap into because there was, um, you know, Sharice and I went on this big journey. We were on the East Coast, sitting outside, having coffee with a woman Um, who also, of course, works in healthcare and had this big question that we were asking ourselves, like, if you had unlimited funds, how would you spend them? How, like, what is it? How would you solve the world's problems specific to healthcare? And one of the ways that we landed, one of the, the answers that we had was, how do you, one, create a library of resources that people need and get, help them get access to them in a way that is, you know, meaningful for them. And then, you know, and then we we were like, oh, that's exactly what Kinsei Hosano is doing. And because because what you said and you tapped into is like really really important that like you get information to the patient in their language in a way that's culturally meaningful for them. Like, how do you all do that? And. We have um, several um, members on our team that are first-generation Americans here. And so they come from these cultures, they speak these languages. And so we just have that because we have those experts on staff and they really understand the patients, the Medicaid patients that we're reaching out to. They can really resonate with them. They understand where they're coming from. They, they know what their situations are like and they can really... Um, empathize with with where they're coming from and and how difficult our system is to navigate. I, I think it's difficult for anyone in general, but just imagine if English isn't your first language or if culturally you, you think about healthcare differently based on where you come from in another country because healthcare is so different, you know, outside of the U.S. I, I think that's where we really uh, ha- take a unique approach because we do understand, we have the context to know where these members are coming from and the challenges that they have. So I, I think that's really what makes us unique is that 
we have team members that have lived this and gone through it themselves. So that's kind of a question I had for um, Contejo Sano. Do you guys translate your um, solutions into all languages or are you limited in what you can offer? And if so, is are there plans to expand it? So we right now we support about 30 languages. And really what we find is that the majority are really kind of centered around the Latinx population. So a lot of Spanish is probably the number one um, language that we see. And then just depending on the demographics of the population or the community that we're working with, we can expand from there. And I would say those 30 languages that we support are probably the most commonly found um, languages out there. And, and there are some, you know, differences between um, cultures, right, from someone coming from Cuba versus um, Argentina, right? So there are some nuances in, in the cultures themselves. But I, you know, we found that those languages pretty much cover a lot of what we're seeing in the communities. But, but we also have the ability, um, we do what we call community detailing, where we go out and when we're working with one of our clients on outreach to their members, you know, really understanding their community, those nuances and the different types of cultures and, and languages that are needed um, to help ensure that that we engage their members in an effective manner. So how could, how would you, how me understand community detailing? Like, what is, is that an event? Is it a one-time event? Is it a series of events? Is it something that happens continuously? Like, it's it, really something that we do on our side. It's, it's the analysis that we do when we're looking at different communities to understand um, demographic information. So who lives in that area, race, ethnicity, language information, we call it real data, um, which is really important. And oftentimes we find that our, our clients don't have this information. So part of what we do is we there's enough information out there to really understand kind of the, the basics about a community. But once we start engaging with members and really understanding and confirming their information, that's where we can really start to collect some, some unique insights and, and more insights actually into those different communities and provide that back to our clients. So they really have a more detailed understanding of who their members are and what language their language preferences are, their communication preferences. Now, in the past couple of years, you guys have been very fortunate in the um, amount of funds you've been able to raise. Do you find that it was hard to get um, people on board with the idea or have you been um, very successful engaging like the physician population or investors? How do you feel you guys have done that or been able to get that message out? I think we've done a really great job of getting our message out. And I think, you know, you know, the pandemic has, has just shown the need really for, for this type of a service and, and really engaging people on a more personalized level in the management of the care and ensuring that we're addressing health disparities and, and providing health equity. So I think that really has resonated with the market and our investors. And so we're just finding that there's such a need right now in the market for this. And it's such an important mission um, that um, we just um, had really great success in just resonating. And I, I think just really based on what we're trying to do and creating um, a journey for these members and helping them engage throughout the year and their health, I think is just really important. I think that's only become more amplified as a result of what we've seen this last year. So are you guys, is your, are your services available in all 50 states? 
They are available in all 50 states, yes. Okay. And then as a patient, how would I, if I, if I, how would I interact with you? Like, how would I come to find you or would you come to find me? So right now we're white labeled, which means that if we're hired by a a health plan or a payer, they will um, whitely. So it would be us calling on behalf of them because they have the relationship with their members. So we'll call as an extension of their team and, and just be part of that. So right now, the way that a patient would access our services is, is through their health plan. Now I have seen, I mean, your, your model is really unique in that it does answer the whole um, language processing question and how people can access healthcare in a um, real way, meaningful way in their life, culturally um, speaking. Um, I've been fascinated by Consejo Sano's um, journey since I learned about it. My question is going forward, how do you keep that edge? Because I'm now seeing other models who are trying to mirror or copy what you guys are doing and it's a much needed service. Um, How do you keep the edge? Like um, what are you planning to do moving forward to keep um, Consejo on the lips and mouths of everybody? So we really think that um, a more holistic approach to care, what we found with um, others in the industry is that that many are very focused on a specific program. So a diabetic population that needs to get care for that program by the end of a year, you know, and, and very kind of like what I'm going to just say is like kind of one-off kind of very focused types of campaigns. And what we're trying to create is, is very different. We're trying to create a journey. We're trying to create an ongoing relationship with these members. And, and really, again, we, we believe that starts with the annual wellness visit and ensuring that everyone is getting preventive care. And then as they go through their annual wellness journey or visit, you know, understanding if there's any other condition that they that comes up that they need care for and ensuring that they're taking advantage of all the, the tools and resources that their health plans have available to them, as well as um, additional services that um, they can get through their, their provider. So that's really where we see ourselves as unique is just providing this whole um, this very holistic approach and kind of this year-long engagement versus trying to reach out to them one time, hope that they do that one thing and, and then not necessarily reaching out to them again um, to keep building that relationship and engaging them in their health. I love that. I mean, I just, I really like what you guys are doing and I like that it builds in a, a habit and a routine. It's something that's like, let's be continually thinking about our health and how we can you know, catch something before, just engage with the healthcare system in a way that is sort of on your own terms versus Mm -hmm. in the way that just like healthcare sees it. And not so so overwhelming. I I think, you know, that's a big challenge that we face in the healthcare industry. It's, It's very overwhelming and it's hard to know which care setting you should go to and in what situation. And it's really difficult to know what your benefits cover and how much you're going to pay out of pocket. And I think those are critical things that we want to help address. We want to make it we want to decrease the friction, right? We want to decrease all the silos in, in healthcare and really help our um, these members understand how to get the care that they need when they need it, and you know just really reduce that that friction that they're all facing and that we all face. I mean, you know, benefits can change on an annual basis. They do change on an annual basis. So even if you understand one year, it might be totally different the next. Exactly, and new programs come out, new incentives come out from you know, on a regulatory basis, on a state level basis. I mean, there's so many moving pieces and parts that I think it's just 
it's too overwhelming for an individual to understand. So if we can help kind of bridge the communication gap between the health plan and the member or them and their providers, I, I think that is a great service that we can provide to help ensure that they're taking advantage of all their benefits. So Medicaid is a problem, uh, uh, not a problem, I'm sorry. Scratch that, Marco. Um, Medicaid is a program that you guys um, deal with and um, the beneficiaries there. Do you find that the Medicaid regulations are starting to be more intuitive to the way your clients live? So like, let's say uh, something that's coded for like the place of service. Are they um, now able to adapt to more of a remote type of um, being able to see um, doctors and that type of thing? Or are they stuck still going to have to make that visit? Um, from your you know, I, I can't speak to every state. I know it varies by state and there are different rules, but I really think that um, telehealth is here to stay. And I think that's something, again, I, I feel like that's where we're, us is, we need more um, education around what warrants a telehealth visit versus what warrants in person. And I, I don't know, you know, from a regulatory perspective and what's covered and not covered, I think that's, you know, more complex issue that I, I'm not well versed in. But I think just helping someone understand, you know, when a telehealth visit is recommended or covered versus when they have to go in person for different things is a good starting place. And I, I only think we'll see that grow just because there was so, so much success in having those telehealth visits over the course of last year that um, we do see that continuing to grow. I would like to know a little bit more about you, Julie. And uh, I like to just know, I like, I really like thinking about if somebody wanted your job, like if you just like love the work that you do, how, like one, did you know what you wanted to do when you were a kid? Like, and, and are you doing that? And two, if somebody were to say like, I want to do what she does, you know, would you have advice for them on where they should get started or how they could get where you are? Sure. Absolutely. I didn't know what I wanted to do. I knew I was, I leaned more on the creative side of things and um, I, I liked, I, I leaned towards that and um, when I graduated from college, I had a business degree, so pretty general. And I started out in accounting, actually, and quickly realized that I didn't, that accounting was not for me. <laughs> and just stumbled into an opportunity um, to get into the marketing world. And I loved it. I loved the healthcare industry. And um, just, I took every advantage I could. I took some risks. So I, I got out of my comfort zone on a regular basis. And that would be my biggest piece of advice to anyone is that if you find something you love, just continue to learn and push yourself, get out of your comfort zone. And it's the best way to learn hands-on experience and just taking on new projects and initiatives and really stretching yourself and, and learning from the challenges, the opportunities um, that you have through those experiences. Um, I've been very fortunate that I've had some really great mentors throughout my career and they've really helped me think about ways to continue to grow and push myself. Um, I've been very fortunate in the organizations that I've worked in that they've also been supportive in helping me um, take on more responsibility and and really being more involved in the strategy of the business. And I, I love that, you know, for me, it's just, I love being involved in the strategy and figuring out how marketing can help support and drive um, the goals of the organization forward. 
One thing that has definitely been showing up for me lately is the getting out of your comfort zone or doing hard things. And it's like, instead of actually being afraid of doing hard things or resisting them, that like actually leaning into them, even though the discomfort at the time can be pretty overwhelming, when you get to the other side of it, one, you're typically really proud of yourself. And two, you can't have helped but learn something. And it's just like a real great opportunity for growth, whether it is in in work or even in personal life. Like, you know, we literally like hiked to the top of some tough mountains this summer. And, and we're like, man, that was tough. Did we make the wrong decision in going up this like really steep hill or mountain? And, you know, the views from the top are beautiful. <laughs> they are. No, it's a great analogy. And yeah. I, I think it's so true. And um, it can be very uncomfortable at first. Um, and I do find in general that if you take the initiative and you try, um, you'll be amazed at how many people are there to support you because they recognize that, you know, you're trying and you're taking the initiative. And when I have learned though, if you're going to fail, fail fast, learn from it and come back with solutions, um, and, and remedies for how to improve and continue to move forward. And I think that's been very helpful for me in my career too, is if I take on a challenge and it's not going the way I anticipated, the the sooner that I can, the more proactive I can be, the better. Um, and again, it helps you learn and grow and, and um, just continue to um, take on new challenges. For sure. I also like really like the concept of like, embracing failure instead of being really afraid of it there's I think a father-daughter meme somewhere where like basically just the story being told that the father is asking his daughter every day like what did you fail at today because essentially even just from a young age of getting used to the idea of not being good at something means that you're trying and that inherently getting better at it. So it's like the more that you try things, of course, the more you're going to fail, but eventually you'll, you'll figure it out. And I think one of the more ideal situations you can be in in that scenario is to have a support system. So it sounds like you've also, you know, had an opportunity for growth, but then also had a support network to, to help you if things went, you know, terribly wrong to make sure you're not really messing things up too bad. Exactly. And I would say in healthcare, the one observation I've made over the years is that um, it's really about networking and having the support group and everything. Because as I've, you know, I've gotten promotions and I've moved up in my career, um, just observing how others have been successful and, you know, how they engage with leaders in their in the organization and find, seek out mentors within those organizations and um, kind of leverage, you know, just leverage the, those skills and knowledge that people have. It's, it's really difficult and and awkward sometimes to go up to someone and say, Hey, I really admire you. And um, I want to learn from you. Would you mind mentoring? It's it's kind of a hard conversation to have, especially when there's not a formal mentoring um, program in place at an organization, but I've just, I've seen people do it and be very successful. And then I tried it myself. And at first it was kind of uncomfortable because it's not something that's, that's natural for me anyway. And, um, but I will tell you that that's how you build your support system and your network is by going out and, and talking to people that have the experiences that you want and learning from them and understanding how they got to where they were. And, and that's really how I've tried to 
to grow in my own career is by finding those people that I admire and um, that have been successful and in, in learning how they got there and what they did. So I think that's very important. So let's lighten things up a bit. And I'm going to ask you, what's one thing you do every day that helps you maintain your focus in your job? For me, every day, um, I think it's really important. Healthcare is ever-changing, as you both know. And I think it's so important to, to, to stay um, knowledgeable about everything that's changing, how things are being impacted. So every day, I try to take a little bit of time just to, to read about what's happening in the industry and um, just make sure that I'm, I'm always um, coming to work with kind of the latest perspective on what's happening and how it's impacting the industry as a whole, our business. It also keeps me um, really engaged in what's happening and knowledgeable out there so that as rules change, you know, on a federal level or a, a state level, um, that I'm aware of what they are and how they might impact our business, especially in the marketing world. You have to keep a pulse on your market. You have to understand their challenges, what keeps them up at night, how you can solve those challenges. And so I think that's a really important component is just to continuously educate yourself on, on what's happening. All right. So you're definitely smart. We get it. What do you do? What do you do to stay balanced? What do you do when you're not working? When I'm not working, um, I love hiking, skiing, traveling, and exploring with my family. Um, on a daily basis, obviously, you can't do all those things. So um, definitely working out is, is a very important piece of my daily ritual. Um, but yeah, when in my free time, um, my family and I are always out. Um, exploring, at least getting outside and enjoying the mountains and scenery around here. Where's your home base? Uh, Colorado. Okay. I was about to say, where are all your favorite places to ski? Um, For us, we love Steamboat. So Steamboat is awesome. Good snow. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to share your story with us and your piece of the, you know, where you are in the healthcare ecosystem it's been nice getting to know you. If somebody wants to follow your work or connect with you or your organization, what is the best way for them to do so? Um, there's two ways um, to get in touch. Um, first, if you go to kinsehasano.com, it's our website and our information is available out there. I'm also on LinkedIn, so I'd be happy to engage with anyone through LinkedIn as well. Wonderful. Well, thank you, Julie. It's nice to get to know you today. Yeah, very nice. Thank you for having me on the show. I really appreciate it. Sure. What piece of advice do you have for women, if any, Julie? I, my one piece of advice is just to continue to support each other and help each other grow in your own careers. I see um, men do this very well in the healthcare industry and help each other um, rise to the top in, in their careers. And I just really want to see more women leaders in our industry. And I think there's a lesson that can be learned here in making sure that we support each other and help each other grow. And I'd, I'd love to see more women sitting on boards and on leadership teams in the industry. You're definitely speaking my language. I appreciate you with that feedback. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks for listening. You can learn more about us or this guest by going to our website or visiting us on any of the socials with the handle hit like a girl pod. Thanks again. See you soon. This episode is brought to you by Chirpy Bird Inc. 
CMS's Merit-Based Incentive Payment System, or MIPS, is super complex, and if clinicians ignore the program or perform poorly in it, it can result in a hit to their revenue and reputation. Chirpy Bird is proud to say that more than 95% of its clients are exceptional performers in MIPS, meaning they've maximized the score that directly translates into their Medicare reimbursement rate. Chirpy Bird offers their audit-proof services to practices of all sizes through an affordable monthly subscription that includes unlimited access to a regulatory expert who guides them in knowing what data to track, how to create workflows that make capturing that data easier, and ensures that they submit it all to CMS on time and performing at its best. Contact Chirpy Bird today or learn more at chirpybirdinc.com. That's chirpybirdinc.com.